Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I, I'm sure you guys are the same way, but I so appreciate uh, the ministry that Travis and the worship team have in preparing our hearts for the message that God has for us. The way that they just bring us into the God's throne room, you know, each and every service that we have. And um, got a great relationship with Travis. But you know, that's not always the case with a lot of pastors and worship leaders. Sometimes there's conflict with pastor, pa- pas- with pastors and worship leaders. Uh, there's conflict at times. And uh, just a little thing that I came across about one of these situations is uh, one week a pastor taught on commitment and how we should move forward into doing service for others. And after the teaching, the worship leader led the congregation in singing, I shall not be moved. (laughs) The next Sunday, the pastor taught on giving and how we should all gladly give to the work of the Lord. The worship leader then led the song, Jesus paid it all. The next Sunday, the pastor taught on gossiping and how we should watch our tongues. And the worship leader sang, I love to tell the story. (laughs) Well, obviously the pastor became disgusted over the situation. And the next Sunday, he told the congregation that he was considering resigning. The worship leader led the song, Oh, why not tonight? (laughs) Well, when the preacher resigned the next week, he told the church that he felt Jesus had led him there originally and that Jesus was uh, leading him to, to move away. And the worship leader saying, What a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> Turn, if you will, to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Mark, chapter 12. If you need a Bible, uh, just raise your hand. John's in the back. He'll get you a Bible. You, you will need one to follow along this morning. It's important that you follow along in God's Word as we're going through it together. So Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 28, starting with verse 28. And we read, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Now if you were here on Wednesday night, we had part one of that. And we were looking at, love God, why? 
Because we see the two commands here very clearly. It's love God and love others. So Wednesday night we were uh, focusing upon looking at love God, why? If you want to get a copy of that, there's CDs out at the information booth. Uh, But we are to love God. To build on that a little further, even from Wednesday night, we are to love God because of who He is and because of what He's done. Because of who He is. Because of what we may know about Him, uh, we may know what others know or say about Him. Uh, What does His Word say about who He is? But what does He say about Himself in His Word? An interesting study, if you ever have the opportunity to do it, is do a study on the names of God throughout the Bible. Uh, There's one particular study by Precept Ministries, Lord, I Want to Know You. And it's it's just a great study because it gives us insight into the character of God by the names of God. So in His Word, He calls Himself El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, El Elyon, the Most High God, Adonai, Lord, Master, Yahweh, Lord Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Mekadishkam, the Lord who sanctifies you. El Olam, the everlasting God. Elohim, God. Kuna, jealous. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. So we are to love God because of who He is and because of what he's done last Wednesday we looked at John chapter 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life there's four things that we noticed in that verse there was God's motivation was love love for us love for the world God's propitiation for us was a perfect sacrifice his son God's salvation for us was and made available to us through His Son. And His justification was in His belief in His Son for forgiveness. It leads to just as if I'd never sinned and results in everlasting life. We see that just in that one small verse that we're all familiar with. But we also see from our text that we're commanded to love God. We saw that on Wednesday night as we went through the Scriptures, but we also see that this morning as we go through. So this morning we're going to look at love God how. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the awesome opportunity that we have, Lord, to just take this time to gather together in fellowship and study from Your Word. Lord, looking to get Your truth from it and apply that truth to our lives. Lord, we, we do want to know how to love you more. And so, Father, I pray this morning through what we're going to be looking at that you would reveal that to us even more than we've known before. So, Father, bless our time of study this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord, is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
So it's pretty straightforward what we see there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. But what does that mean exactly? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, one thing's for sure. One thing that we can trust in is that if God has commanded it in His Word, then we can trust that His Word is also going to explain it. Right? We know, you've heard Pastor Jeff say many times, God's commandments are God's enablements. If God's going to command us to do something, He's also going to enable us to do that. He's also going to show us how to do that as well. But quickly this morning, I want to look at the, the Hebrew and the Greek definition of, the, of a couple words to give us a better understanding. In Deuteronomy 6.5, which is what Jesus is quoting in this passage, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then in Mark 12.30, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Notice the difference there? In Deuteronomy, he doesn't say mind, but in Jesus quoting that verse, he does say mind. So, why do you think he did that? I have no idea. (laughs) I'd like to give you more. I have no idea. Well, I kind of do, okay? So stay with me. We'll take a look at this, and I think it'll explain it a little better. (laughs) But I was pondering that this week. Why did... I don't know. So here's something to think about. Let's think about the first two, heart and soul. Let's look at those first. Now, not to go all biblical scholar on you and everything, because uh, I'm just not capable of that. You know, I'll I'll shut down before I get to that point. But uh, from what I understand from the Hebrew and Greek, heart and soul actually refers to two specific aspects of us as humans. The intangible which is vague and abstract, and the tangible, which is clear and definite. Uh, it's, It's real. So essentially, the words translated as heart and soul, in modern comparison, are like the computer terms software and hardware, only for people. In the words words of uh, Charles Stanley, stay with me, stay with me now. (laughs) Software and hardware, soul and heart. Heart in English is somewhat inaccurate as a translation because it refers only to emotion, while in the original language it also includes intellect. So in our English translation, we see heart as as emotion, the the seat of the emotions, and in the original language it includes intellect as well. And soul in our English translation is even worse because it suggests intangible qualities but the original language uh, specifically referred to tangible things like flesh, uh, blood, and breath. Now, while we don't have convenient words in English to express this software and hardware aspects that we have as people, we are fortunate that we have a pair of words that that do. Uh, The English pair, like the Hebrew, the Hebrew levav for heart and nefesh for soul, or the Greek cardia for heart and suke for soul refers to the con- combination of these two concepts. That pair is mind and body. Okay, at first hearing of that, we kind of immediately think, oh, he's going to go new age on us or something here, the whole mind and body thing. No, that's not the case. It truly does, from a definition standpoint, those two words capture it better in our language. Okay, follow me on that. 
Normally the word mind in English indicates intellect to the exclusion of emotion. And normally body tends to focus on flesh rather than blood or breath. But taken together they, they uh, assume a broader meaning in our English language. So we see these broader meanings, for example, in the mind-body connection, which refers to the fact that both how we feel and what we think are connected to physical matters. For instance, it's becoming clear that, let's say, losing a loved one can increase the risk of heart attack. That's a mind-body connection. And taking deep breaths can help mitigate agony. That's also a mind-body connection and so forth. You see the connection there. So we could translate the first two parts of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Mark 12.30 as love the Lord your God with all your mind and body based on the original languages and our English translation of that. But there's a caution with that. And I, I have this in my notes to caution myself because in Revelation 22 verse 18 it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. I don't want that. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I don't want that either. So, having explained that the way that I have, I certainly don't want to misrepresent God in any way at any time. But here's the thing, gang. It appears that in the English translation, in order to not miss the meaning of either the Hebrew or the Greek, everything was included. Everything that makes us, us. All of it. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Which covers everything, doesn't it? Which means we love God with everything that we are. All that we are. All that makes us, us. However... There is something to be said for the way that we use and express heart. I love you with all my heart. Right? You have broken my heart. Total eclipse of the heart. No, not that one. Just, just forget that one. Let's set that aside. Had an 80s flashback there. Sorry. But practically, we attach heart and love together, don't we? We connect it with the close relationships that we have in our lives. Imagine being married. Actually, I don't have to imagine being married. I'm actually married. But imagine being married. If you or I never talked with our spouse, or not very often, well, that wouldn't be a very healthy relationship, would it? If we had no communication or little communication, it would certainly cause a breakdown in the relationship. However, if we have love for our spouse, it should inspire us to talk with them, spend time with them, enjoy being with them, not because we have to, but because we get to, right? So as a child of God, if we never talked with God, or not very often, wouldn't be a very healthy relationship, would it? No communication or little communication would certainly cause a breakdown in the relationship, However, love for God should inspire us in the same way to talk with Him, spend time with Him, enjoy being with Him, not because we have to, but because we get to. Our spouses mean a lot to us, and they've done a lot for us, but they are not God. Wives, look at your husband real quick. Just glance over and look at him. Do you see him as God? I hope not. <laughs> he falls way short of that. 
So they don't compare, but still we must invest in that relationship for it to grow and for to make it last. And we have to with God as well. In fact, key point here, no other love can be allowed to rival our love for God. No other love can be allowed to rival our love for God. In fact, our love for God will improve our love for our spouses, for everyone else. So how do we express our love for God practically? Well, I think it can be measured in a couple of ways. How much time do we spend with God? And how much time do we spend for God? Let me repeat that. How much time do we spend with God? And how much time do we spend for God? Remember the two commandments in our text? I'm going to ask you this many times throughout this teaching. Remember what they are? Love God, love others. Let's say that together. Love God, love others. Because there will be a quiz later. The quality of the time we spend for God is in direct proportion to the time we spend with God. Once again, the quality of the time we spend for God is in direct proportion to the time we spend with God. If we truly love God, we will prioritize our time with and for God. In Jeremiah 30, 21, God is asking this, For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? And in Psalms 5, 3, David writes, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. I love that. I come before God and I wait in expectation of what God has for me each morning. Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? So there was the expectation of wanting to meet with God, and then there's also the expectation of what God has for us as well. Jesus, in Matthew 14, 23, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. We're fortunate, Colorado, we have mountainsides. You know, there's some places in the country, like Florida, an overpass. That's all you got. That's the biggest hill there is an overpass. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The lonely speaks of secluded, a place where we can go without distraction to spend time with our God. And in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that time that we spend with God increases what we can do for God and we can bear fruit. So you want to bear fruit? Spend time with the fruit producer, God, right? Let's this morning take an honest evaluation of ourselves. Let's just sit back and look at ourselves for a moment. Do an assessment, a self-assessment of ourselves. Measuring ourselves with an accurate tape. You know, you don't want a, a tape that skips two inches. There's no two inch between one and three inch. You want a tape that will actually accurately measure something. Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, that would be all of us, right? Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. 
That's one of those verses that, you know, you just don't like hearing. That's kind of hard, you know. I mean, really, uh, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Is there any time in your life that you've actually done that? I can think of, you guys recognize this position, I'm sure. He just cut me off. Oh, so I should get to be in front of him, right? What's he doing passing me? I should get to be, or she, it could be a he or she. My experience is more times he. (laughs) But don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. So as we come before God, we're spending that quality time with God. We need to recognize who we're before there, right? And we need to come to the Lord in humility and come to the Lord soberly recognizing who He is. There's a a pattern uh, for spending time with God or spending time in prayer uh, that's very helpful. I came across it years ago, and I still think it's just a, a really good principle to put uh, in place in our time that we spend with God. It's, it's what they call an acrostic, where you take a word, and you take each letter of that word, and you make a phrase from those letters. So in this case, if you're a note taker, you might want to jot this down. It's the word Acts, like the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, Acts. A stands for Adoration. That's where we're reflecting on God Himself, His love, His power, His majesty, His provision, and His gift of Christ to us. A, adoration. C is confession. Admitting your sins to God with honesty and humility, knowing He loves you. A, adoration. C, confession. T is thanksgiving. Telling God how grateful you are for everything that He has given and and still gives. So A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication. Making specific requests both for others and for yourself. So you look in those four things, it encompasses really everything that we need to be focused upon when we come before the Lord, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But also the order, I believe, is correct. We know that when Jesus died on the cross and the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, that God declared open house, that we can come to Him at any time, right? We don't have to go through a mediator other than Jesus Christ Himself. But it's still, if you think about it, there seems to be a way to approach God. Not flippantly, but recognizing God for who He is right from the start. Whether it's in prayer, whether it's in devotion, whether it's in Bible study, we come to God and recognize Him for who He is. Adoration, right? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Jesus gave us a good example through that. Then confession. We've recognized God for who He is, but now it's time to do what? Recognize us for who we are as well. Sinners saved by His grace. So, having that time of confession. And then thanksgiving. Right after that, it just makes sense. We've just recognized the fact that He's God, we're not, and He's forgiven us. So we've got much to be thankful for, as well as all the other blessings in our lives, right? And then supplication, where we make our requests known to God. What do we typically start off with? (laughs) 
Lord, I want, I want, I need, I need, I want, I want, I need, I need. You know, we kind of rush right into that. When, does that work for God? God can sort all that out. It's not like God goes, wait, 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 wait a minute, you've got to get this back in order. You're all confused here. God doesn't do that. He can sort all that out. However, in our response of love to God, we should recognize Him for who He is right, right off the bat. So just remember, God loves you and is always with you. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you what? A future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Spending quality time with God is expressing our love for Him. Practical way to show our love for God, spend time with Him. Now back to our text. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second like it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to love God more than ourselves, and we are to love others as ourselves. You get that? Love God more than ourselves and love others as ourselves. How much do you love yourself? I can't answer that for you. I'm just asking the question. How much do you love yourself? Think about that. How is it possible to do that? Only by the supernatural work of God in our lives, by His Holy Spirit working in us towards God and out of us towards others. It's got to be something supernatural that we don't necessarily understand it. It's God doing His work in us and through us. But self-love, self-love, is self-preserving, self-enhancing, self-exalting, self-esteeming, self-advancing, something that we do real well on our own, don't we? Romans 13, verse 8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of of the law. So two times in this verse alone Paul says that the command to love our neighbor is the fulfillment of the law. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, "Therefore whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets," which we all know as the golden rule, even though it gets misused on a regular basis. So since we've already got a preconceived notion of how we want others to treat us, then we should treat others in the same manner that we want to be treated, right? Our love for God comes to and manifests itself when we love others. Or we could say that God's love is fulfilled when we love others. Because that's what God's wanting us to do anyway, right? In John it says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And with that commandment, He kind of cuts to the root of our sinfulness. 
which is self-love. What causes us to sin more than anything else? Thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, right? Putting ourselves first. That's called self-love. We have a powerful instinct of self-preservation and self-fulfillment. We all want to be happy. We all want to live and to live with satisfaction. We want food for ourselves. We want clothes for ourselves. We want a place to live for ourselves. We want protection from violence against ourselves. We want meaningful or pleasant activity to fill our days. We want friends to like us and spend time with us. We want our life to count in some way. You know that phrase, uh, the love of your life? You know, someday you'll meet the love of your life. You want to? Go look in a mirror. Because <laughs> for most of us, that's where it's found, right? There's the love of your life. Looking good, right? <laughs> well, all of this is self-love. Self-love is the deep longing to diminish pain and to increase happiness. That's what Jesus starts with when He says, as yourself. So as you love yourself, so love your neighbor. Which means, as you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he's hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. And on and on and on and on. As you would that men would do to you, do so to them. In other words, key point, make your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. Make your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. Measure your pursuit of the happiness of others and what it should be by the pursuit of happiness for yourself. How do you pursue your own well-being? Pursue your neighbor's well-being that way too. So in all these ways, neighbor love does not threaten self-love because self-love should become God-love and God-love is not threatened, diminished, or exhausted when it's poured out into the lives of others. God's desire is for us to take everything that we have found in Him and freely give it to everyone else. God loved and invested in us, so we are to love and invest in others. Look around the room. Is there anyone in here that... As a brother and sister in Christ, I love them. But would you say I don't like them? See, I don't, I don't think that that works. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that there are those people who say, well, I love them. God said I had to, but I don't like them very much. Well, that, that statement in itself isn't very loving, is it? Do we have people we don't like? Yeah. In that honest assessment of ourselves, yeah, we do. Doesn't make it right, does it? What's the two commandments in our text? Love God, love others. Very good. You guys' memorization skills are amazing. <laughs> so a century or so ago, a guy by the name of General, General William Booth, you may have heard of, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, he wished to send a telegram of encouragement to his missionaries around the world. But he found that he could only afford to send one word to each. Based on the money that he had, all the missionaries he had, he could only send one word to each. What's the word that he chose? Others. Others. You're like, Pastor Jim, did you make those up special for this teaching? 
No, I ordered them special <laughs> for this teaching, actually. <laughs> and they are available out at the information booth after the service. They're free to anyone that wants them, anyone who dares to place it on their car. We have our 89.7 Grace FM stickers we stick on our cars, don't we? Our little fish and all of that. Do you ever think about what somebody thinks when we cut them off in traffic? And that's on the back? Still want another sticker on the back of your car? <laughs> you should. You should. So sure, loving others means God provision to help meet their physical need. But what's the most important thing? God's provision to help their spiritual need. We have opportunity to meet their spiritual need by meeting their physical needs. It's an open door, if you will. It's a possibility that we have that. As God stirs our hearts to meet them where they are and help them out, we have that opportunity then to impact their lives for Christ as well. And we can do this by two things. Encouraging others to Christ and encouraging others in Christ. Encouraging others to Christ. If they don't have a relationship with Christ, introduce them. If they do have a relationship with Christ, support them and encourage them in that relationship. Really, it's two simple things for us to do, isn't it? Always be in a place where we're available to God to encourage someone to the Lord or encourage someone in the Lord if they're our brother and sister in Christ. So being available to God for Him to use us to invest in others. That's the ultimate expression of our love for God and others. Love God how? Well, to finish up, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We'll start with verse 30. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a, it's just a well-known parable, a well-known story by all of us. I think Christian and non-Christian alike are familiar with this story. And this is following Luke's account of the dialogue between Jesus and the scribe lawyer that we looked at Wednesday night. So it's, it's the same passage, just Luke's account of that. But it's the same thing we've been looking at in Mark 12. But in Luke's account, the scribe asks another question. He says in Luke 10.29, if you just look up at it real quick, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Turn to the left, turn to the right. There's your neighbor. <laughs> Wherever you go. <laughs> As you're driving down the road, you glance over. Hi, neighbor. <laughs> Sorry, just had a Mr. Rogers moment there. Hi, <laughs> neighbor. <laughs> Where's your neighbor? Wherever you are, the people that you're around, those are your neighbor. So he's wanting to justify himself, and we do this as well, don't we? But Jesus gives to him this example, this parable. Let's read through this just quickly. Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So in this passage, we see several different attitudes displayed. It's hard for me to even imagine seeing someone in a ditch, beat up, half dead, and as we see in this account with the priest and Levite, they walk over, turn their backs on him and walk away. Really, that's hard for us even to imagine. Christian or non-Christian, that's hard to imagine that someone would do that. Nevertheless, that's our story. So, to the lawyer, the wounded man was a subject to discuss. Not coming down on lawyers, but hey. <laughs> to the thieves, the wounded man was someone to use and exploit. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. To the religious men, the priest and the Levite, the wounded man was a problem to be avoided. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. To the innkeeper, the wounded man was a customer to serve for a fee. What's mine is for rent, for a fee. To the Samaritan, the wounded man was a neighbor, worth being cared for and loved. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to share it. So what did the Samaritan do for him? As we look at those verses, we see he had compassion on him, first and foremost. He saw his need. He bandaged his wounds. He cared for his need. He put him on his own animal, which, by the way, means that he's walking, right? So he was inconvenienced for his need. And then he invested his own money in him. He sacrificed his personal funds for his need. He saw his need. He cared for his need. He was inconvenienced by his need. And it cost him something as well. Years ago... I've shared this with you once before, but it's been a number of years ago. When I was working um, for Hewlett Packard, I went to work early in the morning. And so early one morning, get in the car, start up, get ready to head off to work and realize uh, I'm out of gas. So go over here to the corner gas station, pull up, get out, starts pumping gas. And I noticed there's somebody in, at the pumps next to me. And it was a young lady and she was just kind of standing there and as I was pumping gas, she walked over to me and said, uh, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you, but I was, I was just wondering if you could help me. Okay, you know what you need. It's, it's early, okay, so still a little foggy. Uh, what, what, what do you need? And she said, well, I'm on my way to work, and I'm out of gas, and I don't have any money. And she said, uh, I would be willing to sell you my wedding ring 
just to, to, to buy gas. Well, like we are, a couple thoughts were going off in my brain. One, the first thought was, I'm about to get ripped off. <laughs> I'm going to be taken in by this. The other thought was, it's, it's gas, you know, help her. She asked for help. Flesh and spirit fighting there, obviously. So I said, look, I, I don't want your wedding ring because obviously it would have been a little weird for Chris, me coming home with somebody else's wedding ring. <laughs> Hard to explain, you know. Just would be. So anyway, I said, no, you keep your wedding ring and I'll, I'll put gas in your car. And what was I thinking? Well, we'll see. I don't know where she's working, but probably $10, $20, that'll do it. Once again, I was convicted and God fill her car up with gas, you know. That's what I heard. I don't, <laughs> nobody else was there, but that's what I heard. So I filled her car up with gas. She said, thank you. Okay. And on my way to work, I'm thinking, yeah. I hope it was what it appeared to be, but I got a feeling that, you know, I just got taken for a tank of gas. And oh, well, whatever, whatever. I'll just move on. Well, at that time, uh, Pastor Darrell, who's here at that time, we used to go out to the to county jail and lead Bible studies on Sunday night. So came around to Sunday night, and um, as I'm walking into the jail, she's walking out, sees me, recognizes me, and said, oh, I just want to thank you so much again for that act of kindness, you know, that, that you, you know, when I was having a tough time there, you were there and, and helped me out with that. And she said, because my husband's in jail here. That's who I'm here visiting. And, <laughs> oh boy, God, you're working me over here, aren't you? <laughs> you know, not that I had forgotten about it by any means, but it was like, wow, this is, this is something else. So, God's not done. Go into the pod, leading the Bible study, and I share that story. I just thought, you know, maybe this will be an encouragement to these guys and how we can love one another and whatever. So I share the story. And a guy to my right starts crying. Who is it? This woman's husband. And he said, thank you so much for providing, you know, for my wife. He said, I've made some dumb choices, some dumb mistakes. And just to know that there's people out there watching out for her blesses me, you know. Thinking back to my original attitude with the whole thing, it's like, oh, man. God will place opportunities for us to express His love in our lives when, the last, you know, when we're not even looking for it. It's there. How we're going to react to that is probably going to be largely dependent upon how much time we spend with God. Remember what we were talking about earlier. How much we're going to invest in the life of someone else is going to be measured many times by how much time we spent with God. So let me ask you this morning as we close, will you commit from this point forward to discipline yourselves to draw closer to God? Not that you don't draw close to God right now, but to draw closer even to God and to continue to grow in your love for Him so He can work in you to express His love through you to others. Through you. Expressing life. Have you guys heard the Dead Sea analogy before? To anybody that's been to Israel and seen the Dead Sea, it's very clear why it's dead. Water flows in, nothing flows out. We can become very dead spiritually 
because of the same thing. God pouring His love into us, and if we don't pour that love out into others, we become dead in some ways. We're, we don't bring life to someone else. In 1 John 4, 11 and 12, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. What's the two commandments? Love God. Love others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this morning. That, Lord, we've had the opportunity to to re-examine ourselves. On Wednesday night as we went through the study, it was a refocus. And Lord, this morning it was a re-exam. Lord, because we need that. We need to always know and understand that You're constantly at work in us for Your good pleasure and so that we would love others and represent You well when we go to our jobs, our schools, our communities, in our neighborhoods, even at church. Lord, we just, we so pray that you help us to do this better. Lord, we know that loving others is an expression of our love for you, and we just desire, Lord, to, to do that consistently, uh, regularly, effectively. And that can only happen through the power of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Each one of us here this morning, we know, has a representative of someone who reached out to us in love at some point in time, whether it been in a corporate setting like this or as an individual or a small group. The message of the gospel, the love that Jesus Christ has for each and every one of us, was explained to us and we responded to it. This is that opportunity this morning as well. If you're here and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we, all of us gathered here, want to share that message of love with you, that you would just know and understand that God loves you with a perfect love. Christ died for you on the cross because He loved you so much. And we desire to express that love to you as well. As we welcome you here, as we encourage you, So I pray, Lord, that you just tug at the hearts of anyone that might be here that doesn't have a relationship with you. I don't know who that is, Lord, but you know hearts, and you know who it would be. And so, Father, I pray that you stir their hearts right now, that they recognize their need for a Savior because of the love that's been poured out to them, even in the state they're in, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were nothing special. We were no prize, but we were a treasure. We were a treasure to God because He loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And by making that decision this morning, by responding to that love, you can have peace and rest in everlasting or eternal life. And so, Lord, I pray that You would stir their hearts. That the power of Your Holy Spirit would woo them that we as the saints together would be praying for them and that, Lord, they would respond to you. If there's anyone here this morning that's heard this message and wants to respond to that invitation to come to know Christ, I pray that you do so right now. Just raise your hand so that we know you're responding to God's love.
So Christians, as we're here this morning and we've heard God's word, how it's guiding us, instructing us, convicting us, that we go out and love others the way that you would have us to. You loved us first. You brought someone in our lives to show that love to us. And in return, we should do it as well. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the boldness. Encourage us, Lord, to do just that as we leave this place this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand.